What's up, everybody? It's your man, Plyrock. And before we get started with today's podcast, just wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to please follow us on Facebook at Ply and the Moldog. That's P-L-Y-A-N-D-T-H-E-D-A-W-G, Ply and the Moldog. You can also find our live video game show most nights of the week at Plyrock Gamer on Facebook. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Plyrock Gamer, P-L-Y-R-O-C-K-G-A-M-E-R. We appreciate all the support. We'd love it if you dropped us some feedback, a subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much and enjoy. Meeting at the intersection of entertainment and knowledge, of greatness and destiny, comes the greatest sports video game movie podcast on today. Please welcome in your hosts, Plyrock and Mitch the Moldaw. What's up, everybody? It's your man, Plyrock, and welcome to another episode of Ply and the Moldog. Well, we're coming in fast and furious and hot right now. Mitch the Moldog is on fire. He's got some opinions and news about none other than the GOAT, in most opinion, Tom Brady of the NFL. Looks like a uh, little shaky ground staying with the uh, Patriots. What's going on, Moldog? Welcome in, dude. Oh, feeling great. Ready to go. We got a lot to talk about tonight. A lot to talk about. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's start with Tom Brady, the New England Patriots. Looks like uh, not exactly 100% guaranteed he's going to be staying in that uniform. Tell us what's going on. Tell us what you know, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Go. All right. A lot of reasonable people are vehemently disagreeing on a number of the potential Brady landing spots. So I'll give you, I won't run down the whole list. I'll give you a couple at a time. Interested to see where, where you are on those. And then uh, I'll give you a couple more and we'll kind of go from there. But uh, okay, that's fair. The way I see it and uh, listening to uh, all the talking heads in the various marketplaces, there is a lot of disagreement and there's also reasons that seem very viable on both sides of this. So, uh, Let's start with uh, let's start with the first couple potential landing spots for Tom Brady, and uh, see what you think about these ply. Uh, okay, in no particular order. Number well, the first two, Vegas or the Chargers. So the Raiders or the Chargers? Correct. Well, not in my opinion, not a chance. He goes to Vegas. He he, in my opinion, he doesn't have. Listen, he can eat all the rabbit food he wants and do all the weird workouts and the diets and everything he does, and he's been playing pretty dang good for a 42, 43-year-old quarterback, which uh, amazes me. But every father time catches up to everybody, and I don't feel like Tom Brady is going to go, even for the big money. I don't think money is necessarily as big of the issue anymore as one more ring. Uh, so I don't see him going to Vegas, to be honest with you. I don't see him going to the Raiders. I don't think the Raiders have that uh, Super Bowl caliber team ready to go for him, even though Gruden's got a pretty good reputation. I don't see it. Uh, I don't know if you see it, Muldog. I don't see it anywhere with the with the Raiders. I do, though, see it with the Chargers. What say you? Well, I don't want to I don't want to put my thumb on the scale here. But I think there are reasonable 
potentialities for both of those in terms of either Vegas or the L.A. Chargers of Carson City or wherever, whatever crappy soccer stadium they play in these days. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Vegas, Vegas makes sense on these two levels. Brand new okay. stadium, brand yeah. new, you know, reboot of the of Raider Nation. Okay, Vegas has the money to throw at him. Gruden, yeah. Gruden is a coach that uh, is successful, has been successful, can be successful. And although I wouldn't call the Raiders on the precipice of going to a Super Bowl, uh, if I threw Tom Brady into that mix, they would certainly be someone that would at least be a mild contender. That's that's, uh, that's uh, where I am. Yeah, I mean, I think wherever Tom Brady goes, he elevates the game of the team. So... But I don't know if going from an uh, from a D plus squad to a C plus squad is what he wants to do. I've I don't I mean I I'm not in Tom Brady's head. Obviously, we haven't hung out in a while. But I'm just saying that maybe he's going to want to go to a place that has like that that one to two year window where number one he's going to have a coach who's going to respect his opinion right off the bat. So. I don't think Brady's going to want to go to a place where where a coach is going to just really clamp down on him. Okay, um, I th- that's fair. I think he's had that for a long time, and obviously that's produced a lot of success. But I think I think he wants to go to a place that has a different, maybe a little bit different of an app, like a Pete Carroll, right? So I think going from a Bill Belichick to a Pete Carroll uh, type of coach is is probably maybe something first and foremost on his mind. Who Pete Carroll, great coach. Not, I mean, just different philosophy with his players. Um, and then I think they need to have a few more weapons than, I mean, than the uh, Raiders do. Uh, I see it there where I believe Philip Rivers stepped aside, didn't he? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Philip Rivers. Yes. So that leads that leads us to the Chargers that yes. obviously have a hole at quarterback with the loss of Philip Rivers. And the other pull there is that's Brady going home. He's a, yes. you know, he's a SoCal guy or a no-cal yep. guy or middle-cal guy, whatever he is. Yeah, and, he's a Cal guy. Yeah. I don't know if he wants to pay those taxes. Right. but <laughs> Well, he, you know, him and Giselle both paying those taxes, huh? That would be, uh, that'd be quite a yeah. tax bill. Jeez, they'd be making minimum wage. Now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a good fit for him, to be honest with you. Well, it's if, it fits on a couple of levels. It fits for him, and it definitely fits for the Chargers, who have trouble putting butts in seats. And this yeah. this would do. You talk about a guy who could single handedly kind of revive that franchise. They're they're a team without a home. They need a new stadium. Every time they try to build a stadium, it gets shot down, or something comes up, and they just never can seem to pull it together. It's tough to draw in that market for football as it is. There's so much. That market is so flooded. It's an NBA heavy. The Dodgers draw pretty well. Football has always struggled. The Rams struggle with attendance out there. And the Chargers. So does the, yeah. so does the XFL. So do the Wildcats. And the Wildcats. We had, we had hit on that. That's that's a great point where yeah, we were digging the real the wild, football league. Yeah, we were yeah. digging the Wildcat attendance, but it was like, hold on. That's really tough for anybody to draw out there. So the, yeah. the Chargers may need Tom Brady more than Tom Brady needs the Chargers. I think that's kind of where that's at right now. Can I just uh, real quick to a side? Uh, this reminds me, this conversation reminds me of years ago when Tim Tebow got cut for 
awful reasons from the Denver Broncos. Okay. When uh, Elway was just sick of them. And I know Elway picked up Peyton Manning. So obviously it was a, it was a trade up, but I was, I felt bad for Tebow for, for taking them to the playoffs, winning an exciting overtime game there in the first round, and then just being dumped by the wayside. And I do remember for a while, uh, they, nobody kind of knew where he was going to go. And I never understood why, why Tim Tebow is like royalty in the state of Florida, right? Yes. I never understood why Jacksonville or Miami or Tampa Bay, one of those teams, especially Jacksonville, who I think has maybe like a family of four in the janitor in the seats for these games sometimes for the, with the Jags, especially back then they stunk. Why it, Tim Tebow on the team sells out the stadium. Yeah, it seemed so, like a natural fit. It did seem like a natural fit. Didn't he end up in New York? He ended or, up with the Jets. Like what? Uh, Tim Tebow is the exact opposite of the human being you want to send to New York City. Agreed. Like he doesn't fit that market at all, you know? Um, why those teams never picked him up, which is, which to circle back here to Tom Brady, if Tom Brady's got a few years left, uh, San Diego would be crazy not to do whatever they could to sign him, get him for a two-year deal. Obviously, you're going to overpay him a little bit. Draft that young guy right below him, ready to go on year three. Have Tom, look at you're here, you're the starter. Don't worry about it. Do what you do, baby. Let's fill the stadium. Let's make one final run at it, and you better teach this kid on the bench everything you know before you go. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think it's a natural fit, but you have other teams that are going after him too, including one in the Midwest. I'm curious to hear your take on. Go okay, ahead. Okay, so here's here's the next two: uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. Ooh, God! But Dallas hasn't locked up uh, what's his name yet, Dak. Right, and there, and there may be a reason for that. You think they're waiting on Tom? Again, I don't want to put I don't want to put my thumb on the scale before my prediction, but uh, yeah, 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 I get Dallas, it. Dallas, you know, Jerry Jones is a showman, and I think this kind of theater plays into Jerry Jones. But at the end of the day, I think it's really just kind of a a nice uh, romance, uh, whirlwind romance tour, and it's more of just uh, theater at this point than it really is. Uh, Tom Brady, but that team is on the brink of winning and two years of Tom Brady that could put it over the, could put them over the top. Uh, yeah, but I don't think you, I don't, I think they got a little gem there in Dak. I think you got to pay the guy. I mean, I don't know. They should have locked him up a while ago. I don't see Tom going there. Look, I could put my thumb on any scale I want because my predictions don't necessarily count in this arena. Yours do. So, I don't see him going to Dallas whatsoever, and I don't see him going to Tampa Bay. Okay, what makes Tampa I don't see Bay, No, I hear you. What makes Tampa Bay interesting is mm. that is a, that is a team with a very good offensive coach in Arians, and that was a team that has great offensive weapons that he has not had in New England lately, and they were some bad quarterback play away from being a playoff team this year. Jameis Winston threw 30 that's 30 with a three, 30 interceptions this year. Wow. It takes Tom Brady four years to throw 30 interceptions. 
How many did Tom throw this year? Tom didn't have a good year this year. Tom had a bad, arguably, I would say a bad year. I think he threw eight interceptions this year, which was a yeah, lot for him. Jameis Winston threw 30. Right. A lot for him. That's what I meant. A lot yeah, yeah, for him. Yeah. Jameis Winston threw 30. That team is on the doorstep. And warm weather. And as you know, wait for it. No income tax. Oh, he might go to Tampa Bay. I don't think so, though. I'm still not feeling. I'm still not feeling. The only team I'm feeling that you mentioned so far is the is San Diego. Okay. All right. So you're. So what else you got? got we still got a couple here. So. Yeah, yep. I know you're going to go through all 30 teams. Right. No, but. no, no. Just two. We got two more. Next team on the docket: the Tennessee Titans. Okay. Now, what's their hook? Their hook is twofold. That's okay. a team on the precipice. That was a playoff team this year. Good, yep. de- good defense, very yeah. good running game. Take a little yeah. read off Brady, and yeah. the uh, the real linchpin here, or the wild card, if you will, is the head coach of the Tennessee Titans is a guy named Mike Vrabel. Played for yeah, the Patriots. I know Mike. He is Tom Brady's best friend by all accounts that I have. Ooh, okay, okay. Plus Tennessee's got a good tax structure. Tennessee has a good tax structure, also, absolutely. And they probably now who's the quarterback right now for Tennessee? Does he count? It was Ryan Tannehill. Remember the old oh yeah, the old Miami yeah. cast off. Ah uh, yeah, though no, this, this, this. Uh, yeah, he doesn't count. So, I mean, he'd be a good, he'd be a decent quarterback in the XFL. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with San Diego is the most likely. We haven't even addressed the Patriots yet, by the way. Well, that's the, that was my last one, and of course he can stay home and play for the Patriots. So, so throwing the Patriots into the mix, give me. I don't rank. think Bill Belichick wants him anymore. I think there's some. Uh, uh, yeah, I think there's some disagreement throughout. I don't even think it's. Yeah, I just think. I think Belichick. I don't think it's a personal thing because they do have such a storied history together. Um, I would say more Belichick is less emotional on this decision. I think Robert Kraft would be more emotional on this decision. I think that's spot on. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not privy to the conversations that Robert Kraft and his masseuse had when they were talking about what they should do with Tom Brady. But oh, no, you didn't. I'm thinking (laughs) I'm thinking that the smart play is to go with the coach who has gotten you to the dance so many times and won so many times. I don't know if Tom necessarily, I think Bill's like, dude, yeah, maybe we'll get to the playoffs one or two more years, but these guys are getting a little older. They're running out of gas. I really need to turn to the future. Stop trading away my Jimmy Garoppolo's for crying out loud. Go, let me go get a young, another one, uh, you know, one ninety ninth draft pick here and start rebuilding this team because the father time is knocking at everybody's door here. And I love him and he's great and he eats weird shit and he looks like a million bucks at 43 years old. But you know what? Vinny Testaverde looked like a million bucks at 43 years old and his tank ran out. I think he's the oldest quarterback I remember ever playing in the NFL. And he was still effective. And then the injury bug and father time. Yeah. What a mullet on that guy. But yeah, no, it was eventually no matter what. And Tom Brady clearly in the running to be considered 
the one of top one or two quarterbacks who ever played the game. Him and Joe Montana are like neck and neck, dude. Those are my two. I think Joe Montana makes better underwear commercials, but these two guys are like right there for, and I know Tom really wants to take the lead there. I just don't think, I don't think Belichick wants to do it with him again. I think he will. I think he, you know, I don't think Belichick's going anywhere, but I don't think it helps the locker room. Uh, I don't think it helps the coaching staff's relationship with upper management. If Tom Brady stays, um, I think the fans in New England will riot for a little while until that first touchdown pass is thrown from the next kid uh, because football fans are so like fickle when it comes to forgiveness. Hey, even Joe Montana left San Francisco at the end of his career. Yeah, he went to KC for Correct. their, you know, yeah. So, and he was pretty good in KC for his he last won. few years. He wasn't awful. He was he was what Tom Brady is going to be these last two years. So if you want to go back and have a preview of what Tom Brady's going to do in the next one or two calendar years, seasons of the NFL, look no further than going back and checking out Joe Montana's stats for his last two years on the Kansas City Chiefs, which I think uh, just, you know, looking over the rosters and, and you know, going from memory kind of reminds me of what would happen if, where, if he goes to the Chargers, you know? I see him taking the Chargers to the playoffs, maybe getting to the AFC championship game. I don't see another. I don't. I guess I should say this. No matter where Tom goes at this point, whoever's available, I don't really see him pulling in another ring. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I Tennessee. The best shot he's got is going to Tennessee if he wants another ring. So. But other than that, I don't see I don't he stays in New England or he goes to San, San Diego, he's sure as hell not going to the Cowboys. Uh I don't think so. I don't see I don't see another ring in his future, so maybe he does. Obviously he knows more about this subject than I do. But I mean, my guess still at this point, based on everything you just said, is in a few weeks we're gonna be doing a special podcast that Tom Brady has signed with the San Diego Chargers. That's my guess. My thumb has already obliterated the scale. What say you, Muldog? Ply on the Chargers. We will know uh, sometime around March 18th is when those deals can start to get inked. Uh, okay, so here's the here's the quick hook on New England, right? Here's, here's what they have going for them. There is a certain power of incumbency, if you will. And he, sure. you know, he is on New England. It's it's what he knows. Yeah, he's royalty. Yeah, housing, you know, you you name it, whatever. Um, there is definitely a schism in the upper management ownership, GM, with you know, who happens to be Belichick also of, of that team. And I think you hit it spot on. I think Belichick is just the numbers guy, the non-emotional. We're at the end of our line. It's time to move on. Again, he doesn't give you anything, so you don't know that. But Trying to get inside his head, that's kind of where I think he is. However, Kraft is the, you know, Tom is the son I never had, and he goes that angle. So there is a di- there is a disconnect there. Now, money, other teams are going to offer Brady a little more money. The Patriots have to kind of do a little bit of a salary cap dance here and there. Um, the Patriot money will come in a little lower, but again, I don't think it's about uh, a million bucks at this point. He's 
He's taken the hometown discount before. Before I wouldn't be surprised to see him not necessarily restructure, but take a little less to stay there because I think he thinks if he gets just a couple weapons around him, he is going to be good. And then, but what I think is even a bigger factor, not not necessarily in Brady's mind, but definitely in Robert Kraft's mind, is hey, when we were going through the Mookie Betts situation, and I said that I thought what hooked um, kind of hung up that trade or after it was announced was the Twitter mobs coming after the Red Sox. Imagine the Twitter mobs if Tom Brady leaves New England. Now I know you said they'll forget about it when the next guy throws the first touchdown, and that that may be that may be true. But oh, what a PR! I you want you want to be the Patriot PR director the day Tom Brady goes somewhere else? I, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I I hear you. I don't like any. I don't like rage mobs for the most part, just for Sonic the Hedgehog. But I don't see. I don't think they care. I think they're going to have a plan in place when they're going to make him an offer. So they don't look like a bad guy. So they're going to make a decent offer. They're going to take that hometown slice. Like you just said, he's gonna, you know, he, I mean, I know I'm foreshadowing here or whatever, whatever you want to call it projecting, but he's, he's going to say no. The, the other team, the other team, San Diego is going to throw their best offer at him. All right, Tennessee is going to throw their best offer. I'm sure it's going to be like what sixty million dollars for two years or something crazy, right? That, that's the number you're talking at. Thirty, you're talking thirty a year, and I don't think anybody thinks he's got more than two left, except maybe himself. But I think, I think two for sixty is, uh, yeah, that's right in the ballpark. Yeah, two for sixty. So I don't, I don't, I don't see him. I mean, maybe if the Patriots come close, like, hey, we'll give you fifty-six million. What the hell is four million dollars at that point? I don't see him. I don't. I don't think the Patriots will care. I think the Patriots will have. They'll survive a week or two of listening to everybody, you know, crap all over them. Then they're gonna they're gonna make a smart play. Or Belichick has routinely, more often than not, be been very smart and very good in the NFL draft. Correct. Yes, and he usually also yeah. on top of that is. Uh, he generally doesn't hold on to guys. He gets accused of getting rid of guys a year too early as opposed to a year too late. He usually does not hang on to guys past their uh, past their expiration dates. Yes, correct. So he's already probably a year a year past when he would have gotten rid of Tom. Yeah, oh, so, if it was entirely up to Belichick, Jimmy Garoppolo would be the quarterback of the New England Patriots. Yeah, and they probably would have won another World uh, World Series, another uh, championship ring. So, I think Jimmy Jimmy had a better year this year than Tom did, didn't he? I know it's a different team, but yeah, Jimmy uh, wasn't Jimmy wasn't asked to do a heck of a lot because he had that great running game and great defense. But you know, took his took his team to the Super Bowl. So yeah, just kind yeah, of looked good ball, doing it. You know, and looked good doing it. Yeah, that's a that's so, a man. I'm 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 not afraid to say it. That's a good looking man, Ply. Yeah, man, he knows what he's doing. So, I don't know. I, what's your guess? Like, let's go on the record here, man. I thought you said you're gonna you're gonna tell us at the end where where do you think is this is gonna go? Because I already told you where I think this is going. Well, I was I was hoping I could kind of confuse you and you would forget to get back to me for a prediction, but uh, you hung nope. in there. Now you know you're gonna yep. you're gonna put me in the box again. And I will. I do have show notes. I do prepare for this. So just so you know. 
So I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you my prediction, and then I'm gonna give you the the because this is what we do applying the mold dog. We give you just a little more too. Here's why. Absolutely. Here's how I think it's gonna go down, which you may never ever be able to find out because it may never leak. Now it may leak, but here's what how I think it's gonna go down. All right, go. I think they've been at loggerheads for a long time. I think it gets to a um, critical mass, and I think at some point, like in any number of businesses, the owner is going to put his thumb on the scale and say, Bill, I write the checks. I'm not dealing with this. Tom's my boy. We got to figure out a way to make it happen. And Tom Brady stays with the Patriots. So you think he's staying. Now, do you think Kraft butters it up for Bill by saying, all right, go out and get whatever you want to surround him? Yeah, he's gonna have to give he's gonna have to give something because he doesn't want he doesn't want Belichick to walk because then he's got just as big a problem on his hands. And then there's no sense having Brady if Belichick walks and you get some clown in there because Belichick is the GM also. So mm-hmm. you would have a real hole in the side of the boat. So he's gotta put some type of uh extend some type of olive branch to Belichick as well. And I think that's why these negotiations uh, have taken so long and they've, they've just stalled because up until this point, the only team or up until March 18th, the only team that can talk to Tom Brady is the Patriots because he's on the Patriots. So I think there will be, you know, potentially a bit of a kind of a free agent whirlwind kind of romance tour. But I think when it's all said and done, he stays put. Okay. All right, you're on the record saying that. I there am. You got, there you there you go, guys. Ply saying he's going to another team, specifically the San Diego Chargers. Muldog is saying he stays with the New England Patriots. Now, just to transition a little bit from the greatest Tom in professional football to the greatest Tom in professional movie making, we wanted to take Tom Cruise Appreciation Week here on the Ply Rock Nation show just a little bit further. We've been doing a little Tom Cruise honoring on the live video game show, and people have been asking me why, and I say, because I can. But we wanted to talk about Tom Cruise's filmography, and we got Top Gun 2 coming out here in a few months, a movie that both Muldog and myself are going to be so excited to see and then bring you the ultimate review uh, when it does come out. But this is one of the few actors that transcends generations where not only has Muldog seen 90% of this guy's movies, I have seen 90% of this guy's movies, and we're able to actually debate. Now, there's some newer actors that maybe he doesn't know, or some, uh, actually, I know all the actors that he knows, so we're just going to skip over that. But, you know, I Tom Cruise himself is a transitional figure in the world of movie making, and the guy rarely, rarely, makes a bad movie. So we figured we'd run through his filmography starting in 1981 and working it all the way to 2018, which is the last movie he had technically come out. We do have the new Top Gun. We do have the new Mission Impossible coming out here in 2020 and 2021, but those don't count yet. So Muldog, I know you got the filmography up there too, so let's run through these one at a time. Give us your hot take on some of these. 1981, he makes his debut in Endless Love. Did you see Endless Love? 
I did, and I didn't even remember him from Endless Love, so I don't know how uh, he how must have been. His debut was. I don't either. I rem- I don't remember Endless Love. I re- do remember Taps, which is his next movie. Do remember Taps also, and he, he I, was not the main star, but I believe no, uh, no, George Timothy C. Hutton. Scott was in it. Timothy, Timothy Hutton, Hutton. Yeah. yeah, Roddy Cox, who always plays a dick in every movie he's in. Sean Penn, I think, was young in it, uh, and I think Tom Cruise had like a supporting supporting role in that one. Okay. And then he kind of steps up a little bit more in The Outsiders. Great movie, great cast. I mean, loaded cast. It's surprising that Muldog wants to talk about The Outsiders because every time I want to talk about a movie based on a book that they forced Muldog to read in high school, he never wants to do it. But with The Outsiders, he does. You got, wow, man, you do, you do take good show notes. <laughs> that, that, is, that is an excellent point. But The Outsiders, when I had to read that in, uh, I don't know, seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that, uh, yeah. it was a quick read. It was a good, easy, I don't want to say easy, but exciting, kept you riveted type read. So I got no beef with The Outsiders in All right. the literary form or the movie form. The cast in the movie was a who's who of soon-to-be big stars. Am I remembering this correctly? Was was Sy- Sylvester Stallone wasn't in The Outsiders, no, was thinking, he? I think you're thinking of the Lords of Flatbush. Lords of Flatbush. Okay. I always get those two confused sometimes. They're, 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 they're both... similar. They're, yeah, they are okay. similar. But no, C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez. Yes. So what? he moves. Great movie. So he moves on to Losing It, which I think was his first attempt at being like his own star. Um, Shelley Long was in that too. Uh, John Stockwell from Quantum Leap, I believe, was in that. And it was kind of like one of those teenage comedies where they're trying to lose their virginity or whatever. I don't think that really made any waves. But then he he really comes into his own in one of Muldog's favorite movies. And I'm sick of walking into the office with him replicating the scene. But risky business, Muldog. Now you you in high school you in uh, middle school in nineteen eighty where are you in nineteen eighty three in your life I am a uh, freshman in high school okay a freshman in high school he sees risky business it's probably the greatest thing he's ever seen because Rebecca De Mornay is at her prime Tom Cruise having just the greatest uh greatest moments ever with her. And uh, the movie is a mega hit, correct? The movie was the movie was amazing. I mean, it was it was you know it was risky, if you will, at that, <laughs> at that time, you know. And uh, you know, Rebecca De Mornay was older. Tom Cruise was technically in high. You know, he was in high school. Wasn't she a prostitute in the yeah, movie? Yeah, she was some type of high end call girl, and that's how he got in trouble with the pimp and needed the money and all, yeah. all that. But, you know, the parents were away for the weekend and he had the the Maserati or whatever the car was. And then with the soundtrack, too, with uh, yeah. with Phil Collins there. And it wasn't was it all, just all awesome. wasn't uh, Bob Seger in that soundtrack, too? He yes. Yeah, that was the uh, old time rock and roll rock and roll sliding in his underwear on the. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the famous scene. Right, on the hardwood floors. But there's the uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight as he's driving down, you know, yes. as he's driving yeah. down Long uh, Lakeshore Drive there in Chicago in the parents' Porsche yes. or whatever he had. A fantastic yep. movie. Love it. 
So he keeps moving up. He goes. He, Tom Cruise basically making all the right moves at this point in his career, because he comes into his next movie all the right moves. And uh, I don't remember all. Believe it or not, I don't remember all the right moves very much. I think he played. I want to say he played a football player or. Yeah, he, I was, was on record as highly underrated. All the right yeah. moves. He was a Pennsylvania high school football player. High, yes. school, high school football, huge in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, it also a coming of age as his girlfriend is Emma Thompson, an early Emma Thompson sighting here in 83. Leah and Thompson. Leah Thompson, sorry. Thank you. It's okay. Yes, Leah Thompson is just one of the greatest 80s actresses yes, of all Leah, time. Leah Tom- who, who is Emma Thompson? Emma Thompson's the British actress who's also very good, but she was not in All the Right Moves. All the Right Moves was like the real Friday Night Lights before Friday Night Lights yes. was cool. And the star, and, uh, though, well, Tom Cruise was the star, but also Craig T. Nelson. Correct. He was goes on coach. to do the show Coach. Yeah. And he was the coach in All the Right yeah. Moves. Yes. From this movie, he gets his sitcom. Yes. So I mean, I mean, we could we could we could say that obviously Craig T. Nelson was phenomenal in Poltergeist. Oh and, yes, after you absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that. and he was and he was good in Poltergeist too, which was not as good of a movie as Poltergeist, but he was still the same character, and he was great as the father. But this is the movie that gets him his sitcom of, of Coach. So from there, Tom Cruise decides I'm done with the smaller films, and he really starts to step it up. But this is his first movie that really doesn't do well in the box office. Ridley Scott, famous director, directs uh, Tom Cruise in Legend, where he play. It's like a fantasy movie, and Tim Curry plays the devil. Mia Sara plays the princess that Tom Cruise is trying to save. You got you got unicorns. Tom Cruise is still young. He's got longer hair. Uh, movie's kind of creepy. Um, it's different. It's not a bad movie. It's just, it did not, it, I, do, I don't believe from memory at this point, I'm four years old in my life. So you have to just excuse me for a second, but I don't remember it doing that well. I do remember seeing this movie all the time on like TBS or TNT at like two o'clock in the afternoon growing up. Well, that that's usually a sign. <clears throat> yeah. But now, now that we've gotten over the uh, starting gate for Tom Cruise, We got to start talking about the big stuff because I don't think there's any other actor or actress or whoever who has had a 20 year, 30 year run that this guy has had with very few slowdowns. Okay. You got Sylvester Stallone, you got Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, you got even Clint Eastwood. I think Clint Eastwood's the only other actor who's had this longevity in terms of staying in a starring role in a prominent role in Hollywood after all these years. I mean, Tom Cruise starts it off with Top Gun. I don't, I don't know how much we need to say about Top Gun, except the movies transcendent, bro. Like, like, we, could do, like we could do a whole podcast on ta- on Top Gun. If we want a whole, a whole podcast on Top Gun. And this was Ridley Scott's brother who directed this Tony Scott who famously uh, made movies just like this. And Tom Cruise did work with him a few times, which we'll get to. Tony Scott tragically uh, killed himself years ago. 
Ridley was more of always like the fancy dancy filmmaker. And Tony was more like the high octane director who was like Michael Bay before Michael Bay was Michael Bay. And I think Michael Bay emulates a lot of Tony Scott's work with those long sweeping patriotic shots of everything going on uh, and uh, just making everything always look larger than life. And Tony Scott was amazing, but Top Gun was how many guys joined the Air Force or the Navy because of Top Gun? You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you would not be able to count it, but it would be significant. It's ridiculous. So we move on from Top Gun. Now at Top Gun, Tom Cruise is an A-list star. Can we agree? Absolutely. He goes in and he actually has the balls to make a sequel to The Hustler. And he makes the, the was it The Hustler or The Gambler? The Hustler. The Hustler, yes. He makes a sequel to The Hustler with Paul Newman. Now, yeah. The Hustler's a movie that came out in, what, the 60s? 60s, yes. And it was it was Paul Newman Jack and I Gleason. believe Jackie Gleason yeah. from The Honeymooners. Correct. Playing Minnesota and, Bat. Uh, yes. And he actually, Paul Newman, stars with Tom Cruise to make a sequel to that movie about playing pool. It's insane. I, I feel like Martin Scorsese directed it, too. Uh, color, color of Money. Didn't Martin Scorsese direct it? Did Martin? I do not know that off the top of my head. I'm going to say Martin Scorsese directed it. This you is the guy correct. who. I just pulled it up. You are <laughs> correct. This is the guy who did, uh, who did Goodfellas. Yes. No. And Taxi Driver. And now, and Raging Bull. And now all of a sudden, Tom Cruise is getting to work with Martin Scorsese and Paul Newman. I mean, if that is not bona fides starting to happen in somebody's career, what is? Do you know what I'm saying? It was like, this movie is Paul Newman passing the torch. And Paul Newman, one of the greatest actors of all time. This is Paul Newman passing the torch to Tom Cruise. I mean, you that is the that is the proverbial Hulk Hogan pinning Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania or uh, Ultimate Warrior pinning Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six and Hogan getting up and giving him a hug and handing him the belt. This is the same shit in Hollywood terms. You know what I'm saying? That's a good that's a good analogy. And this it's interesting you brought up the hustler because I, I think that, you know, this movie did fairly well. It it was kind of long. Um, by people's standards, and it could get kind of slow in parts. But my guess is that most people that went to see this, or a good portion of people who went to see this, were oblivious to The Hustler and didn't even really recognize this as a remake. Uh, But your Paul Newman analogy there is really good. And also, you had a very young, or significantly younger, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in this too. Oh, yeah. This she is before played, she does Robin Hood. Yeah, she she played a great she played a great role role. But I I really liked this movie because they did take time to really develop the story, and you know you had the the pool hall scenes which were cool, and the young brash kid against the you know versus the old sage guy kind of passing the torch, and that that played well. I I really liked Color of Money. Uh, I understand why some people think it was a little long. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, this wasn't made. This wasn't made. This, it's funny that a movie called The Color of Money. This wasn't made to be a box office hit. This movie was made to solidify a new rising superstar. That's what this movie was made to do. This movie was made to say goodbye to one of the greatest to start winding it down, even though Paul Newman did win an Oscar years later. Uh, but this was this was a passing of the torch moment. That's why it came out in the same year as Top Gun. Uh, this this movie honestly could have been filmed before Top Gun. We don't even know. It just was released in the same year. Understood. Uh, but then after Top Gun and the Color of Money, Tom Cruise goes on an effing tear. You got Cocktail, which every woman in the 80s was looking for a drink from somebody who looked like Tom Cruise at the bar at this point. And every guy was, was looking for someone who looked like Elizabeth Shue in 1988. Elizabeth Shue, yes. Adventures in Babysitting. I, I had a crush on her for the first 10 years of my life. But uh, I also... Who else was in Cocktail? It was... It was uh, mm, the guy who did FX the movie. I always forget his name. He... Uh, uh, I want to say I'm going to have to I'm going to have to think of this, man. It was do you remember the movie FX where the uh, it was Brian Brown. Brian Brown was his name. OK, <clears throat> British actor or Australian actor. Actually, I always get confused where he's from. He played in a movie called FX where he was like a special effects guy for Hollywood. OK. And the mob was trying to kill him or something, and he was able to do these cool special effects to trick them into thinking things. So, but he does this movie where he's like the uh, the mentor to Tom Cruise, and they work this bar. And the movie's actually not that good if you go back and watch it now. But nobody gave a shit in 1988, dude. It was it was like a huge hit. Tom Cruise was just looking good, having a good time. Flipping bottles in the air, pouring drinks. The Beach Boys were back, making a their first number one hit in like twenty five years. Kokomo, Kokomo. right? Yeah. yeah. And then he doesn't stop, dude. He does he does cocktail, and then he does Rain Man in the same year with Dustin Hoffman. And won the Oscar, right? Yeah, pretty sure. And Barry Levinson directed that, who's a phenomenal director. He does Rain Man. To this day, Rain Man holds up. It's a beautiful story about brothers. It's very touching. It's very well acted. Um, it's it's a good movie. I mean, it's it's still to this day you can sit down and watch Rain Man and just be like, wow, what a good story. You know, it aged pretty well. Yeah, it's still it's still a top tenor for me. It falls wow. into, it falls into the Top Gun category of we could do a whole, or at least I could, you know very comfortably and enjoyably do a whole podcast on rain man. I really liked rain man. You got to, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's just so much in the, it really, they take the time to develop the story. Uh, it can be a little long, but not to me, to me, it flies by and just the, the meld, you know, the melding of, of the dramatic elements with the funny elements and, you know, making their, kind of their trials and tribulations as they make this cross country trip. And it, it's just, it's fantastic. It, it's hilarious. It's moving. It's touching. It's thought provoking. What yeah. else, what else do you need? You don't because then he rips off born on the 4th of July as well. And he gets to work with Oliver stone. Now think of what you want about Oliver stone. I'm not a huge fan of all of Oliver stone's work, especially in his later years. Now I think he's kind of gone off the deep end, but 
back in 1989, after coming off Platoon, Oliver Stone's the hottest thing going as a director, right? Yep. And for him to be able to work with him on Born of the Fourth of July, which is honestly probably one of the Tom Cruise movies I've seen the least, so I don't necessarily feel comfortable reviewing it off the top of my head without actually going to watch it again. I do remember Tom Cruise having long hair and a beard in this movie. And I don't know if that was real or not, but uh, I don't remember much else about it. Did you see born on the 4th of July? I did in, in 1989 uh, when it came out. And if I remember, yeah, if I remember correctly, he plays like a a Vietnam vet who's kind of down and out. Uh, gets down, disabled. Yeah, gets disabled down, in the war. On, it's a yeah. true story. Yeah. So that's yeah. Ron, 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 something or other was the the guy it was really based on. Mm-hmm. Ron something or other. Some. Yeah, Ron Kovic. Ron Kovic. Yeah, that's it. Yep. So, but that's probably the last time I saw it was 1989. So it is not exactly fresh to me. No, but then he goes all in in Days of Thunder, reunites with Tony Scott. It's basically Top Gun on a racetrack. Un- this is where, by the way, he meets his wife, Nicole Kidman, his yeah. first wife. And that explains the next bad movie in line, but I don't want to jump ahead of you. <laughs> this, is the- this also explains the first movie that, that Muldog and I are going to fight about. But Days of Thunder, I'm hitting the hammer, Mick. Like, I don't know how realistic it is in the world of NASCAR. Probably not <laughs> but- much, but that doesn't matter. But such a good movie and one of those wonderful movies that if you have a really good surround sound system in your house. Yeah, it's roaring. Yeah, it is roaring. Roaring. Days of Thunder is so good. And you can even see a young Michael Roker, a Roker in that movie. Michael Roker being from Cliffhanger and most recently being famous for being uh, Daryl's dick brother in The Walking Dead first few seasons. So uh, he plays kind of uh, Cold Trickles. Uh, nemesis in the movie so days of thunder fantastic and then we get to far and away uh, the story of uh irish immigrants coming to the united states and this is where Moldog gets a little aggravated and says he didn't like this movie too much directed by ron howard uh and tom cruise and nicole kidman decide they're gonna hang out together for this movie and yeah you, you sound like you didn't like it bro no it was i don't know i mean it was just such a 180 degree twist from days of thunder uh top gun cocktail color money you know some of those but it's but it's 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 his next attempt at an epic movie i get it i mean he's he's trying to do like born on the 4th of july was a, it was an attempt at an at a, at a uh, you know uh, oscar winning performance in movie right I just don't think those movies work a lot. A you know, aka Legends of the Fall, the, that those types of movies. Now, Dances with Wolves is a different argument, but I don't want to get off on that. But that's that's the category I put far and away in. Uh, I'm not. I'm just not huge on those epic. You know, sometimes I am. Gangs of New York. Um, some of those really enjoyable. But no, sure. I, didn't like, I didn't like Far and Away. I did not like it. Okay. Um, a few good men. You can't listen. If 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 there's anybody out there who has not seen a few good men, um, especially as a film fan, regardless if you like Tom Cruise, regardless if you like Meathead, Rob Reiner, the director, 
regardless if you like, you know, Jack Nicholson, who the hell doesn't like Jack Nicholson as an actor, right? He was so Demi good. Moore, was so good. Demi Moore, really Kevin good. Bacon, Kevin Pollack, Cuba Gooding Jr., James Marshall, Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, this movie is stacked and loaded. Tom Cruise is vintage. This 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 period right here from 1992 to I want to say 1998, 1999. Tom Cruise essentially in a lot of his movies here throughout the 90s plays the same guy. Okay? But he plays him so effing well, nobody cares. It's kind of like Michael Douglas from his run from like 1985, 1986 with Wall Street all the way through to like he plays uh he plays the same guy like every time you see him whether you see him in Fatal Attraction or you see him in um what was the movie with Demi Moore where she sexually harasses him um Disclosure no Disclosure great Disclosure. book yeah the book's even better by the way but Disclosure uh Michael Douglas plays the same dude all the way up to like the game with Sean Penn and like you know, the one done by I believe Danny Fincher. Oh, if I have to, I'm pulling from memory, bro. You're right, Gordon Gecko, right? That was that was the Wall Street character. Yeah, that was the Wall Street yeah. character. That was another Oliver Stone film, by the way. But um, Michael Douglas plays the same guy essentially throughout all the all throughout the the 80s into the 90s, right? Is that fair to say? Like you see Michael Douglas, you know what kind of movie it is. Essentially, you know what's coming. But he's so damn good at playing the everyman. Who's not perfect, but he's got like that lawyer job or whatever job, and he's always wearing a suit wherever he is, and he's always trying to do the right thing or solve a mystery. Right? Michael Douglas was just great leading man for those ten years. But the argument with Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise has been a great leading man for three or four decades. You know what I'm saying? Michael Douglas kind of had his moment and a great run, which not many other actors can say they had, but he has a span of 10 or 15 years at the most stretching it where Michael Douglas is like the creme de la creme and everything he does romancing the stone, you know, all the way up dude. falling down, falling down. Classic. Great movie. Oh my gosh. We could do a whole podcast on that too, but he, he has his moment and then he kind of starts to come down. Right. So now he's, but Tom Cruise to this day is still ramming out movies, you know, a few, a few, he does a few good men and then he does the firm boom, boom. Right. So obviously the best scripts are coming his way. The best directors are coming his way. I mean, a few good men's Rob Reiner, who was in his prime in the nineties, Sidney Pollack directs the firm based off of the hottest novelist of the 90s, John Grisham is pumping out these lawyer novels left and right. In The Firm, he's with Gene Hackman, Ed Harris, Holly Hunter. I mean, it's insane. Janine Triplehorn, who was just, uh, I don't know if she did Waterworld at this point. I think Waterworld's coming up, which kind of killed her career. But she's right there in The Firm. The Firm's a great movie, and he plays almost the same guy he played in A Few Good Men. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's almost the same, you know, actor. It's yeah, the same the firm, character. Yeah, and The Firm was a good movie. I really wish I hadn't read the book first. I think I would have liked the movie better. I started. Oh, okay. I started. And it's funny because I would have never. It's got, very verbatim. Yeah, I, I would have never really got into Grisham um, on my own. I was flying to Phoenix 
for something, probably to see my sister who lives out there. And I found the book in the in the seat pocket in front of me. Oh, wow. You that, found it? That's how I discovered John Grisham, because I found the firm. And it must then, have been bought at like the airport store. Of course, yeah. And somebody and, just yeah. left it there. And then, yeah. and then, you know, 18 Grisham novels later, you know. Yeah, same same story, every one, but, I'm but hooking. Right. Yeah, same, same story, every one. I'm going... Uh, you know, I'm going, going strong. So I, I did like the firm. It was, you know, any, any time you, you know, come off a 600 page novel to a two hour screenplay, you know, you obviously got to, you know, pace it a little differently and obviously it moves quicker, but I thought the firm performed. Hackman was great. Harris was great. I liked the firm. Two thumbs up. Yeah, they were all. Yeah. Now here's his, now on my list, this is my list of misfires. This is his first misfire for me. Interview with a vampire. Uh, his performance was eccentric. It was different. This is where he tries to come outside his wheelhouse. He plays Lestat, the you know the bad vampire in Interview with a Vampire. This is, by the way, these are real vampires. These aren't twinkly vampires. They have awful bat suits. These are like the actual vampire stories, by the way. So we're going to give a little bit of credit there. These aren't fake ones like uh, <clears throat> Twilight, you know, but. This is his first, to me, misfire in 1994 with Interview with the Vampire. I don't know if you saw it. I mean, it was set up for success because he's with Brad Pitt. Now, Brad Pitt is just coming off Legends of the Fall looking hot. This dude is like the next young one that all the women are jumping all over and loving. A famous novel by Anne Rice, uh, Interview with the Vampire, starts off her massive vampire series that she wrote What you know, well, before vampires were cool. And this is the very first performance of uh, Kirsten Dunst, who goes on to play uh, in uh, Mary Jane Watson in Spider-Man with Tobey uh, Maguire. So this is where she uh, has her first. She's a little kid in this. I think she's 10 years old. Christian Slater, I believe, was in this movie, too, and Antonio Banderas. So there was some firepower in this movie. Um, I'm not too familiar with the director. Neil Jordan, so I don't know 100% of what he's done. But the movie, to me, I didn't. it doesn't work. I don't know about you, but uh, when I saw it, I don't believe it works. No, it did not work for me either. And uh, now, I don't know if this is probably not your type of movie, though, right? Yeah, prob- that's that's fair. Uh, some have worked in that, in that genre, but uh, you're right. It's not necessarily, you know, my kind of default cup of tea, but uh interview with the vampire definitely did not work for me at all. Yeah, no, I, f- I figured it didn't. I mean, it didn't. And actually it's kind of in my wheelhouse. Cause I like fantasy or horror, things like that too. And I'm telling you it didn't work. So, and that's, but that's right up my alley. Those are things that I like. So, but it's okay because he rebounds unbelievably well in 1996 with Mission Impossible and Jerry Effin McGuire. And for him to pull those out of his hat, Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire in one year, very few actors can have these types of one-two punches that Tom Cruise has throughout his career. You know what I mean? I mean, Mission Impossible. The same year. Those came out the same year. That's the part I, I did not... Without stepping on each other, really, they came out in the same year. Two 
monster, monster, monster. One a one a franchise, and one you know still one of my favorite movies. You know, maybe not a top tenner, but a top fifteener in Jerry Maguire. I will tell you this: Tom Cruise took care of his male fans with Mission Impossible in 1996. Sure did, and then took around took care of the other half with Jerry Maguire. So he basically made every single one of his fans happy in 1996. And to this day, Mission Impossible still going and getting better. Arguably, the first Mission Impossible movie is the most boring. It's really not an action-oriented movie at all. Um, It's kind of quirky and different. I would agree and, with that. Yeah, but I, I, it's still, I mean, I love it. But when you, when, like... Let's say somebody just jumped on the Mission Impossible train in the last few movies, which they're getting better as they go, which is disgustingly insane, right? But like, if I had my kids go back and watch the 1996 Mission Impossible movie, they probably would be bored. It has a few really intense scenes. It has a over-the-top 1996 Independence Day-type finale where they were just, in nineteen in the mid-'90s, everything was just crazy, you know, with the, with the uh, special effects and explosions um, uh, back then. It has the ending on the train with the helicopter and the tunnel. Yep. But other than the finale, and other than a few little scenes where, like, they blow up the aquarium... And him and uh, the CIA director are staring at each other. And he says, Ethan, you look upset. You don't want to see me upset. Like those few scenes, it's a very slow burning espionage movie. It is not really a uh, high octane uh, action movie. And then he follows it up with Jerry Maguire, which Cuba Gooding Jr.'s like greatest performance ever. Number one, he kind of couldn't hold that since after he did that, his career kind of went to like Snow Dogs for the race through Alaska or whatever he did. You know, Daddy Daycare six when Eddie Murphy said no, but he he does Jerry Maguire with uh, with a Renee Zellweger who just won an Oscar for her portrayal as Judy Garland. This year, we just talked about that a few podcasts ago. And she, they had such chemistry in this movie. It's, this is not a sports movie, okay? It focuses around sports because he's a sports agent. This is a romance and a love story, first and foremost. This is an inspirational story of a man who took a risk and a woman who believed in him because she loved him. And it's a redemption story of of him not recognizing that belief. There's a lot of men out there who should sit back and really retrospectively watch Jerry Maguire and, and take it into their own life and say, and, and myself included, by the way, and go, there's this, this, uh, this, my spouse, man or woman, but in this case, it's a woman in the story really believes in me. Like she, he, she wrote that, he wrote that thesis in the beginning of the film. Do you remember this, um, Muldog, where he says, I'm going to be a better sp uh, sports agent and we shouldn't be just going after money and blah, 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 and all this crazy stuff. And all the sports agents were laughing at him and then they fired him. 
and she's the only one who reads it and believes what he says and believes it came from the heart. And then she quits her job with her little and she follows him on this journey. It's an amazing, amazing story. Like it really is. I mean, that's my take on it. That I mean, that's one of the ones almost Tom Cruise should have won an Academy Award for his performance. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it was everything you said. It was it was kind of uh, putting those two two storylines uh, together and converging them. Of the guy's going to take a chance. He's finally fed up with you know his profession, which he's doing well, but he's had enough and he's seen some bad things. And the hockey player's kid yells at him in the hospital, and then he's finally had it had enough, and he writes that manifesto, sticks it in everybody's mailbox, gets fired. And she grabs the goldfish and goes with them, and away, and away they away they go. Yeah, and it's just a it's just an unbelievable tale of them, just of belief in your spouse, like of risking everything because you you love somebody, you know, even if you don't understand what they're doing, of just really being there for them, you know. This is amazing, amazing, amazing story. Well, and, and, it, launched, and it launched that little kid too. Yeah, and it also uh, it also made everybody like uh, what's his name, Jay Moore. Jay as Moore, a, a was, Jay Moore was great in that movie. He was such a sleazebag in that movie. It was so good. Yeah, he was so good, so good. Jerry O'Connell, Cush, the the douchey quarterback kid who was getting drafted. Yeah, and then Jay Moore picked up the phone and and pretended to be him. And remember that whole scene in the in the hotel suite. Yeah. No, just good stuff, dude. Yeah. So then here's Tom Cruise's second misfire of his career to me, but I see why he did it. He does eyes wide shut with Nicole Kidman. This is where things get weird. They get weird, but I still think to this day, there is a lot of things that you can take out of eyes wide shut that Stanley Kubrick was trying to say. Because he's this is the movie he makes before he dies, by the way. But this is he was I think he was trying to shed some light on some dirty shit that goes on around there. And that's just a whole conspiracy podcast for another day. But as Tom Cruise is an actor, how do you say no to Stanley Kubrick? That's fair. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. Stanley Kubrick could have been like, dude, I just want to I just want to make a movie where you're standing next to a pile of dog shit. And I want you to act like you you appreciate this pile of dog shit. And dude, you're Stanley Kubrick. I will do that. You know, I don't see I don't see uh, how you say no to him. But the movie wasn't that good. I mean, I remember being creeped out by it, to be honest with you. It's basically a soft core porn. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know why if if it's not Stanley Kubrick, Tom Cruise does not make that movie to me. Is that well, fair? That is that, that is fair, and it was that's his second misfire. Too, yeah, to the me. the acclaim it got kind of came from the odd kind of sexuality running through it, and but it was not very good. I did not like that movie at all. No, it it was not. It might actually deserve a, a second viewing. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years since it was on Cinemax at four in the morning, but maybe I should watch it again just to see if I'm remembering it correctly. Um, then he does a, an independent film called Magnolia, 
Uh, which is where Tom Cruise kind of enters in a little period that Moldog doesn't like, by the way. Weird. Just weird. Can we just call it the weird period? This is the, yeah, this is the weird period, but he, he's trying to do other things because he's trying to expand his rapport outside the Jerry Maguire Mission Impossible type movies. I actually did not see Magnolia, uh, but I do know it had a pretty rocking cast. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it. Um, John C. Riley was in it. It was like one of those ensemble movies. Julianne Moore was in it. Jason Robards. I think it was about a family. I don't know. I don't. He was he was in it, but he wasn't really necessarily the main 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 star. It was there was just too many cooks in that kitchen. I avoided it. it wasn't really my cup of tea. I don't know if you saw it. By the I, way, did you see it? I did not see Magnolia. All right, so we won't give him a, a negative check mark for that because we haven't seen it. So I don't think it's fair. I think right now Moldog's got Tom Cruise striking out with three movies. I got I got him striking out with two movies. So, uh, but out of the uh, you know fifteen or so movies we've talked about so far, <laughs> Moldog's got him going down with uh, uh, which ones? Uh, Far and Away. Yeah, Legend. Far and Away. Yeah, Legend I like, though, so I didn't give him a strike okay. on that one. You're giving him a strike on Legend? Okay. Yeah, now, get- far, far and Away, Interview with the Vampire, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, now we're up to Mission Impossible 2, which, mega hit. Limp Biscuit does the soundtrack. John Woo comes in and directs it. It's not the most popular with the critics' Mission Impossible. But this is when Ply was like in his Fred Durst, like coming fresh out of high school moment in his life. And this to me, this movie kicks ass. It's completely different than Mission Impossible one. This is almost a Kung Fu movie, by the way. Pretty damn close with the fighting scenes and the dual guns and the doves flying all over. I loved it, dude. Did you see Mission Impossible two? I sure did. And and you want to talk about just edge of your seat pull you through the whole thing i mean i thought it was riveting the the one word is riveting for that movie i, I like yeah. that one too yeah no all right good because at, at this point with mission impossible 2 i think it's safe to say mission impossible movies aren't bad at, 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 is there a bad mission impossible movie not yet like, really like every, yeah that's what i mean so then he does uh he's actually then his next movie movie not including, uh, you know, narrating and producing and whatever. He comes and he does. Now, here's where Muldog and I are probably going to fight a little bit. He re he reunites uh, with Cameron Crowe, who he did Jerry Maguire with. And they do a movie, a remake of a film uh, called Vanilla Sky. It was originally a Spanish film called Open Your Eyes. And they redo it for American audiences. And it stars Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz becomes famous uh, for this. And Cameron Diaz, I believe, was in it, too. Kurt Russell also. And Kurt Russell. Yes, Kurt Russell was in it as well. And I don't think Muldog would like this one. I don't think this is in his wheelhouse, but I could be wrong. I don't want to bash Vanilla Sky just for the sake of bashing it. I still don't know what the hell happened in that movie. To this day, <laughs> I don't know what happened. So it's tough for me to say I hate it because I have no idea what happened in that movie. Yeah, man. I... I I liked it, and I do know what happened to it, but I'm not going to spoil it. Um, I thought it was trippy, dude. It was. It, this is where he's kind of he's kind of took some risks 
with uh, you know, Eyes Wide Shut and Vanilla Sky. Like he's he's kind of moving around. Like he does Mission Impossible too to anchor it down and say, I'm still the big star, I'm still gonna make tons of money for everybody, I'm still gonna make an enjoyable movie for audiences. But then he bangs out Magnolia, the others in not the others, excuse me, Magnolia and Vanilla Sky in between that, and those aren't movies for general audiences. They're more niche films. So pretty risky on his part. And then he kind of realizes at this point, all right, I tried the artsy fartsy stuff. Now let's just go balls to the wall. Let me call my friend Steven Spielberg and let me rip out a classic called Minority Report. Do you remember that? Loved it. Loved it. Great, great, great movie written by Philip K. Dick, who also wrote Total Recall. Uh, the short story for that, which was not called Total Recall. I believe it was, we'll remember it for you, Wholesale was the name of that short story. But then he also wrote the short story for Minority Report, which is a very interesting premise of being arrested for crimes you have not committed yet. Pretty insane. Pretty against everything American values stands for with the justice system, or is supposed to stand for. Right. Yeah, that the wrong the wrong ball uh, rolls out of the machine there and down the down the little mousetrap looking thing. You're in trouble. Who was chasing him? Colin Farrell becomes a star out of this movie. Oh, that's a good point. There we get yes. Colin Farrell coming on the scene at that point. Yeah, Good and this man. is kind of the end. This is kind of the end of uh, for Max von Sydow, uh, who was a famous actor in the fifties uh, and sixties. This is kind of his wind down film where he plays the uh, the head of the division of the Minority Report, and really cool, dude. Great movie. If you guys haven't seen it yet, he uh, he kind of chills out. He does a few cameos, little executive producer stuff after that Minority Report, but that's such a big hit. He doesn't care. He comes back in 2003 and works with Edward Zwick, and they do The Last Samurai. Do you remember this epic? It's probably about three and a half hours long. I, Ken Watanabe in it, too, by the way. I do remember it. Did you like it? More than I thought I would. Does that count? That counts. That doesn't give him a strike. No strike. No, I, I will not give Last Samurai a strike. Uh, more than I thought I was going to like it. I went in with very low expectations, and it outperformed my low expectations. Okay, because I, it was a, it, it kind of reminded me when I was a little kid. My dad made me watch a movie called Shogun. Oh, the old James Clavel book series. The, that's. That's exactly what I was uh, thinking of with that. And Shogun was a, you know, Shogun was like an 800 page book. Yeah. Wasn't it also like a four part miniseries with Richard Chamberlain? Yes. Yes. Yeah. My dad made me watch that movie as a little kid. And The Last Samurai, uh, it just really starts to solidify Tom Cruise's acting abilities again. Like he just. Dude is versatile. In the 90s. He plays that same lovable, but mistake prone, but overly cocky lawyer type. Uh, coming into the 2000s, he starts to kind of move it around. He's got The Last Samurai, which is great. And then he takes a big risk after Last Samurai. And he makes a movie which I love. And one of my favorite directors directs it. Michael Mann, one of my favorite directors of all time. 
made probably one of the greatest movies of all time called Heat. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yes, of course. Okay, okay. just making sure. He makes a movie with Jamie Foxx called Collateral. Do you remember this? Yes, and my I like Collateral a lot. I'm I'm uh, intrigued as to why you think Collateral is such a big risk for him at this point. Because at this point, he's not this. He's not the hero in this movie. No, no, no. He flips the script completely. He and he, he plays the villain. And does up until this point, where does he play the villain? Okay, that's that's a good point. Let me let me ask you this one more this other thing too because this is I've been thinking about this because it ties back into Sonic too, and that's one thing we do here on the podcast is we segue and tie back as well as anybody. Yeah, uh, baby. But um, here's the thing: uh, on some of these misses, if you will, yeah, Magnolia or Far and Away, whatever, you know, you'll say. You know, he's kind of trying to step out of his comfort zone, do a little something bigger, a little something, you know, more epic or this, that, and the other. But when Jim Carrey does that, you kill him. What's the difference? Because Jim Carrey doesn't do it very well. Fair and enough. Tom Cruise, that's, all I, I, that's all I was Jim, looking for. Tom Cruise never – Jim Carrey – the only way Jim Carrey pulls this off, first of all, Jim Carrey is nowhere near good of an actor all around as Tom Cruise, okay? So that's like comparing – you know, uh, an app, a store made apple pie with grandma's apple pie, first of all, in terms of taste. But he, j- the only way Jim Carrey pulls this off is if a Jim Carrey makes a shitty movie like 23 Numbers or the number 23 or whatever the hell that garbage was, and it doesn't work out because he's trying to do a horror film or whatever, he comes back and makes Ace Ventura 3 and it's a giant hit. Then, okay, we could talk about Jim Carrey. But Tom Cruise has a lot of wells he can go to, so he'll make a he'll do a risky movie like Vanilla Sky, and then eh, it didn't really hit it off with everybody. It's a very controversial film in terms of people liking it or not liking it. Doesn't maybe doesn't really make a lot of money either, Vanilla Sky. But then he's like, bro, I got Steven Spielberg on speed dial. Let's hook this up. Let's get this rolling. Minority Report guaranteed summer blockbuster hit. Okay, we're good. You know, like he doesn't. He can take those risks and come back with another Top Gun or come back with another Mission Impossible or come back with another Edge of Tomorrow, which he's making a sequel to that awesome movie. So he's able to do that, and he also has the skills to pull that off. Jim Carrey doesn't, I mean, he makes the, he, he makes the liar, liar. He does all those things. Then, then, he, then he makes a stinker like The Majestic which actually he was actually pretty good acting wise in that movie, <laughs> but it, it doesn't make any money and nobody cares. And then where does he go? He doesn't know where he, do, he doesn't have any, He never goes back to make another dumb and dumber till it's too late. He doesn't ever make another liar, liar. He does make God almighty or uh, Bruce almighty, which was hilarious. So he does go back to that. Well, a little bit, but he just, and then he kind of goes off the deep end personally for years and years and years. The other thing about Tom Cruise which differentiates him for me from a lot of these other uh, actors and actresses and Hollywood types or whatever. Say what you want about Tom Cruise and his personal beliefs and his his um, you know, what, Scientology and all that fake shit that he's into personally. Um, which, by the way, L. Ron Hubbard said on his deathbed, if you want to if, if you want to. 
if you want to be famous, write a book. But if you want to get rich, just make a religion. He said something like that. Like he admitted he made the whole thing up. But I don't know if everybody got that report from him. So I'm in the I'm in the minority because I read that report from him. But but, uh, you know, he can believe whatever he wants personally. This is America. He can do what he wants. That's fine. I have no issue with, uh, you know, First Amendment. Do your thing, bro. He doesn't force it down my throat. He doesn't come out every day and give a speech about my beliefs suck in terms of his audience. He doesn't say like Jim Carrey will come out constantly. And whether I agree with what Jim Carrey says or don't agree with Jim Carrey says is irrelevant. Jim Carrey is the type of actor who will come out and beat you over the head if you don't align with him certain ways, politically or whatever, right? Is that a fair assumption to say? That's totally fair. And Carrey... Carrie obviously isn't the only one that falls into that category. No, 90% of them do, which is, you know, whatever. So, but Tom Cruise is a smart businessman. And Will Smith is another one generally who's a super smart businessman who understands that his audience is comprised of more than just people who think like him. So he has a bigger, he has a bigger uh, scope in his head of, of, of like, like, okay. Ply Rock, right? To a smaller level. The Ply Rock show. Ply and the Muldog, right? Ply and the Muldog is a little bit more of a, of a uh, you know, opinion-driven thing with sports and things like that. But we welcome everybody. We understand our audience is huge with massive, everybody, dichotomy of thought is what makes this country and this world great. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not limiting my audience by saying, well, if you don't believe what I believe, I don't want you watching my movie or I don't want you what, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go up there and accept my uh, Grammy award for greatest podcast of the year and just go up there and give a speech about half, how half my audience sucks and they should all rot in hell. You know, whether I agree with them or not is irrelevant. I'm so glad you're all here, which is something that Tom Cruise has always been able to do. Um, he just stays above the fray. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Cause we, we, we had a similar discussion at one point, uh, sometime back off air and that was an excellent point. And looking back as you're going through this, I'm thinking back on all the, the, you know, Tom Cruise interviews or things that I've seen. And you're absolutely right. He, he does not do that. And for that, I give him kudos. The only time he's ever been somewhat controversial in his life, which was not controversial in terms of what his audience believed, but maybe it was more him acting a little out of touch with what he believed was when he jumped on the couch and he was in love with Katie Holmes. Right. That was op- that was Oprah, right? Yeah, it was on Oprah. Yeah. But other but other than that, I mean, I don't even think that was necessarily a bad moment. He was professing love for a woman he had met. And he was doing it in a Tom Cruise entertaining way. So whether it was a misfire or not, it was a no harm, no foul moment to me. That's fair. Um, But he didn't turn around and say, well, if you don't love Katie Holmes, I don't want any of you guys watching my movies. You know, if you don't believe what I believe, I don't want you in my store. Like he didn't. There was never any of that bullshit with him. And he doesn't have to. He's above all that. He's like, I want to entertain everybody. I want to make the best movies I can to incorporate the biggest audience I can because I'm an entertainer and that's what I do. Now, whoever he donates to pub privately and whatever temple he sneaks in with John Travolta privately or whatever the hell he's doing privately is his own business. Do what you want to do, bro. 
but don't be, you know he's one of the few that doesn't beat you over the head with his beliefs personally and there's very few who could rise to that level in Hollywood and he's one of them so he gets a lot of extra respect points out of me i don't know where tom cruise stands on a lot of things in our country or in our world like political opinions or whatever i don't know where he stands on them i i don't care to know i'd still go have a beer with the guy and i'd still want to hang out with him and i'd still want to talk to him on twitter and thank him for all the entertainment he's given me and my family and my friends over the years like that's that's where i stand with tom cruise and that's why i don't ever ever consider putting jim carrey in the same category so I'm glad that that makes yeah. perfect. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So he, then he does, then he calls up Steven Spielberg and he does war of the worlds, which I almost want to give him a strike here, mole dog, but I want to hear your opinion first before I tell you why I'm so conflicted on this movie. I was so excited to see this movie. It yep. did not come close to measuring to my expectations. However, I did not think it was terrible i would not give him a strike for war of the worlds okay i absolutely loved the first 95 percent of this movie okay i was riveted from the moment that first machine comes out of the street i thought his acting was unbelievable I thought his kid's acting was unbelievable. Now, Tom Cruise going back to the well, by the way, being the everyman who's got a who's a good guy, but he's, he, he makes mistakes. He's really good at playing that. So he's kind of a down on his luck father who's trying to be a good dad, but he really doesn't know how he's, he's playing that part. But he. This movie is so good until the ending, and this is. This is the moment I realized that Steven Spielberg was no longer the Steven Spielberg who made Jaws. Like, he was no longer the Steven Spielberg that wasn't afraid to go there as a director when he wanted to go there. Um, And this movie has without, I guess, I don't even know if I could spoil it, but this movie has such a cookie cutter ass ending that is so unbelievable and ridiculous. And I'm not talking about the ending to the novel, which is the same ending overall to the story. Cause the classic novel by HG Wells, that's the same ending in the novel that it is in the, in the movie. I'm talking about the family ending to this movie. If you know, right. you can I understand. Yeah, no, I know exactly. I know exactly where you're going. I don't want to, it was yeah. so stupid. That that was where like, but I I can't give a complete strike for a movie that I enjoyed for ninety five percent of it. I do feel like that very end part was like, well, I don't really like the way it ended, so okay, let's just go reshoot this scene. You know what I mean? Like almost like a George Lucasy. Oh, let's just go redo this. You know, like I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, so so then, um. I think he does. I want to say he, he actually, he doesn't do a movie now. He's, he, he doesn't do a movie for another full year. So he produces a few movies, eh, 
But then he comes out with Mission Impossible 3, which is a very interesting movie. Because this is when J.J. Abrams takes over Mission Impossible to try to reboot it. Because Mission Impossible 2, even though we liked it, was kind of seen as a disappointment by John Woo to a lot of uh, critics and things. So they wanted to bring some stability back to the franchise. So they bring in J.J. Abrams to reboot it. Now, J.J. Abrams right now is hot off of the show Lost, if you remember that show. Yeah, that that was his... That was as big as it got on TV when Lost yes, was out. Correct. And uh, I really liked Mission Impossible 3, I feel like, until the end. Did you like Mission Impossible 3? I liked Mission Impossible 3. I, this I is liked where he gets it. the wife. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I, I, I liked it. Unfortunately, this is where my uh, MI viewership ends. Uh, I did not make it uh, to any other of the uh, mission impossible movies after three, but I wow. like three. Yeah. Now wow. I, I stopped at three. So I gotta, I gotta reboot myself and uh, kind of catch up on MI. Okay. Well, the, I will say this, the mission impossible movies get better as they go. So mission impossible four on is ridiculous. Just so you know. Okay. You're, 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 you're not, you're in for a pleasant surprise as the Mission Impossible movies go. Tom Cruise does take a big movie shit here in this next one, which I give him a strike for. The movie sucked. I'm not a big fan of later Robert Redford either. Lions for Lambs was a political uh, movie made by Robert Redford. It was kind of just like uh, a movie about it was kind of a this is this is the one time I guess after we just had that whole discussion about Tom Cruise and what he believes. This is the one time Tom Cruise stars in a movie. He's not the main star in the movie, but he stars in a movie that was kind of like anti Iraq war kind of movie, which I think everybody made in two thousand and seven. Like everybody rushed out their anti Iraq war movie around this time, if you remember correctly. Yeah, I did not see this one though. Okay, so I did see it, uh, and regardless of the message of the movie, the movie sucks. It wasn't very good. It was boring. It was kind of an independent film. And his career at this point in 2007, he's kind of jumping on the couch. He's got a bad reputation with his Scientology, and he he's, he knows he's kind of in trouble a little bit with his uh, with his with his fans. So he calls up his best friend. I don't know if you know who his best friend is. Do you know who his best friend is? No, I do not. Uh, it's a gentleman named Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller is his best friend. Okay. One I of his know. best friends. Yeah, he calls up Ben Stiller and he gets in a little movie called Tropic Thunder. Did you see Tropic Thunder? No, but you've told me I have to and you said it's hilarious. Bro, bro. It's one of the funniest movies of all time. And I'm not going to tell you who Tom Cruise is in the movie if you didn't see it, Moldog, but I want you to see it and report back to us. Because Tom Cruise is in this movie, but you have to see it to believe it. He's the best. He's he's easily, he steals the movie. He's in it for about 10 minutes. He steals the movie, including the end credits. <laughs> you have to see it, dude. Completely revitalizes his career. Like, everybody thinks he's the cat's ass after Tropic Thunder. 
And then he makes a movie called Valkyrie. Did you see Valkyrie? No, I did not. Is this another weird one? Is this in the nope. weird category? Great movie. It is. Okay. Great movie. It's a true story of a German general who tries to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Okay. All right. Fantastic movie directed by Brian Singer, who actually did who did the original X-Men movies. Uh, it's the true story of Operation Valkyrie, where they try to assassinate Adolf Hitler in his bunker. And it's incredible, incredible movie. So make sure you check that one out. All right. Now, I'm going to have to give Tom Cruise another strike here, which is rare for me. Makes a movie in 2010 called Night and Day. Did you see Night and Day? Never even heard of it. Yeah, well, this is funny because James Mangold, uh, who's up to direct the new Indiana Jones movie because Steven Spielberg has officially pulled out, which is probably a smart move. I don't even know if Harrison Ford should be playing him again. I don't know why they didn't give this part to uh, what's his name from Jurassic Park, from the new Jurassic World, um, Chris Pratt. Okay, yeah. Chris, Chris Pratt was born to play Indiana Jones. He's ready to go as Indiana Jones to take the story and continue to move it on. And Harrison Ford can pass the torch to him. Um, The fact that Harrison Ford is returning for Indiana Jones after the dumpster fire that was the last Indiana Jones movie is a little insane to me. But uh, so Night and Day starred Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. And they this is their second time together after Vanilla Sky. And I don't want to stay on it too long because the movie is it's kind of one of those buddy action comedy movies. Uh, it's hot trash. Uh, he was I don't know what he was smoking there. Uh, he didn't call me in 2010. He wasn't talking to me at the time. So that's probably why he made the movie. But he fu- he knows he has a stinker there. He follows it up with uh, arguably one of the best Mission Impossible movies. Ghost Protocol It's absolutely incredible. Directed by Brad Bird. Great movie. Brad Bird's first uh, feature-length uh, live-action film. Brad Bird was actually uh, the director of... Hold on here. It's off. It's on the top of my head, and I'm just trying to quickly see what Brad Bird has done. He did... Um, I want to say he worked for Pixar, if I'm, thinking, if I'm thinking correctly. I know he did Ratatouille. I don't know if you remember. Uh, Incredibles. He worked on Incredibles. Um, yeah, Ratatouille was kind of his big, big movie. Do you remember Ratatouille? Yeah, my kids loved it. It, it was good. Yeah. It was funny. I yeah, liked it. Great. So this is Brad Bird's first shot at making an actual live action movie, and he does Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And without staying on it too long, it's absolutely an incredible movie. So we move on to Rock of Ages, which was actually pretty interesting. He plays uh, Stacy Jacks, the uh, 80s hair metal dude in this. Did you see this movie? I've got nothing. i got nothing on Rock of Ages except, uh, the, except the old Def Leppard song. I loved him in that movie. I didn't like the movie, but I liked him. So I don't know how to give a strike to a performance that I liked out of him, but the movie stunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair enough. Uh, then he follows it up with one of my favorite novels of all time. One of my favorite book characters. I read a lot of his books, Jack Reacher. Did you see Jack Reacher? Yes. And I read, and I read the, and I've read some of the novels, three, two or three of the novels. Yeah. It's so funny too, because in the novel, Jack Reacher's like six, five, 300 pounds of muscle. Right. 
And in the movie, it's Tom Cruise, who's like, what, 5'8"? Yeah. <laughs> like, but he does a good job. It's a great movie. Jack Reacher's a really good movie. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed Jack Reacher. I, I will say I believe the original was better than the sequel. But the sequel isn't bad. They they do a sequel as well. But So he moves on from Jack Reacher, decent hit, to Oblivion, which I liked with him and, uh, oh boy, was it was uh, Morgan Freeman in that one? I want to say, uh, I don't. Maybe it wasn't Morgan Freeman. He kind of, uh, yeah, Morgan Freeman was in it. Tom Cruise and Morgan Freeman. Okay, he's kind of the last man on Earth. Uh, I don't know if you remember that movie where he's mm-hmm. kind of all alone and he's and Earth has kind of been uh, uh, evacuated and he's kind of there to like keep an eye on things and test things and test the water and stuff like that. Didn't they make that movie and call it the Book of Eli? Well, the book of Eli was <laughs> the book of Eli was the guy who was kind of walking through the end of the world, but there was other people, right? Yes, there were other people. Yeah, it was like Mad Max. Oblivion is Tom Cruise and like this girl live in like this floating space house, and he's got to go out every day and kind of search and look for things and do testing for like this big corporation that's trying to clean the Earth, kind of thing. Okay, but it's really. It's actually really good. It's more of like a mystery, you know? So, and Morgan Freeman shows up in it too. Really good. Then he, then he does Edge of Tomorrow. I hope you've seen Edge of Tomorrow. I have not. I cannot tell a lie. You got to put that on your list. That is the Groundhog Day of our time, dude. The movie is so good where he dies over and over and over again. Oh, okay. In the middle of a war with uh, an alien race. And Emily Blunt is in it, too, and she is fantastic in that movie, and he is fantastic in that movie, and they're actually coming out with a sequel, which is so cool. So, um, and then he does Mission Impossible Rogue Agent, which is amazing. So they're even, the Mission Impossible movies continue to be well good. And then he does Jack Reacher Never Go Back. So you can kind of see he's, Kind of turned into a over the over the past fifteen years, he was smart, cultivated some of these franchises. So even when he goes off the beaten path a little bit, he can come back and do a Mission Impossible or a Jack Reacher or an Edge of Tomorrow. So he's smart, and they're always like pretty good hits. Um, he does Jack Reacher never go back. Not as good as the original, but still a decent movie. He's still great as Jack Reacher. And then we come up to his next shit show. The Mummy. Maybe the biggest shit show. Eh. Uh, I don't Do you think it's his biggest, it's his worst movie ever? No, maybe, maybe it's the spread between, you know, the size of the release and what was maybe expected out of it versus how it performed. So Yeah. That's a chasm, if you will. This is a misfire, dude. They never should have remade The Mummy. Yep. Uh, Brendan Fraser and crew uh, was the mummy movies from the nineties were awesome. The original mummy movies obviously clearly stand on their own were classics. Uh, there was no reason for them to reboot the mummy. Like I understand what they were trying to do with a monster verse because they're trying to compete. Everybody's trying to do a verse, right? So everybody's trying to do this verse because of Marvel, right? So let's all get these movie universes going. You know what I mean? So Universal's like, oh, well, we got Frankenstein and we got the mummy and all this shit. They just 
completely wrong way. Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise in it. He did his best. Movie stunk. Mummy was stupid. Russell Crowe was terrible and fat in it. It just it didn't work. I didn't like it. So that's a strike. But then, in Tom Cruise fashion, he makes one of his best movies he ever made. American Made. Did you see this? So you're going to put another one on my list. You didn't see American Made? American Made. I have yeah. not. Arguably one of Tom Cruise's best movies of all time. That's pretty Arguably. high praise. True story. CIA guy flying drugs in for the cartels to the United States. It's The movie's insane. It's so good. He's so good. And then he comes out with Mission Impossible Fallout, which is my favorite Mission Impossible movie of all time. After Mission Impossible 2, it like overtook Mission Impossible 2 because between Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, who still should be Superman, by the way, they put in a performance of a lifetime. Tom Cruise really flies a helicopter around mountains while people are shooting at him. He's hanging out of helicopters. The movie's insane. It is so good. Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, It's incredible. So that's his last movie that technically came out. And then we've got Top Gun Maverick coming out this summer, which is already ready to go and in the can. And they're almost done with Mission Impossible 7. So, I mean, closing out, can you think of another actor over the past 35, 40 years who has done this body of work, Muldog? Nicholson comes to mind a little bit. Yeah, Nicholson. Because he covers so many decades and eras and kind of different roles and He's actually, you know, been in a couple of the things here, or at least a few good men. But, you know, someone with the range of, you know, the Colonel, uh, Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men to yep. uh, his character in The Shining and everything in between. I mean, that's quite a career. Okay, so Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. But who else could you put in that list? No, it's a very, it's a very short list, especially... If you attach any, you know, level of success about, to it, really. Yeah. How about attach box office to it, too? Right. That's what I that's what I mean. I mean, but, Jack, you know, didn't Jack Nicholson make one of the smartest Hollywood moves ever when he for, uh, you know, he foregoed a, a lot of his salary on the uh, on Batman to. uh to get a piece of the, you know, piece of the box office. And it ended up being the smartest move he ever made. Yeah, no, 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 Jack. I would agree with you that you could put maybe, I think you could put a few guys in our, I I guess we should go from the day we were born forward. So I don't know if we could argue Cary Grant or we could argue Clark Gable or guys before us, right? Dustin Hoffman comes to mind. Dustin Dustin Hoffman from Rain Men? Yes, but you know, you said the year I was born, so I'll go back to the graduate in nineteen sixty eight. But can you really put as his body of work, can you put Dustin Hoffman who did Tootsie in the same <laughs> category as Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson? 
No, maybe a half step below, but I just said he came to mind. I mean, hey, hey, Tootsie was a box office hit, by the way. I'm so happy for you. So, but I'm my talking about me. my mom took me to Tootsie. But, but, but where? Uh, I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to get the words out. I feel like I'm arguing with my wife right now. How could you? Like Dustin Hoffman is a great actor, so I'm not knocking Dustin Hoffman's ability. Dustin Hoffman is not even in the same league as Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. And I'm most going to argue Clint Eastwood. Okay. I will, I will yield on Clint Eastwood jumping uh, Dustin Hoffman. So you're saying top five actors of all time. You have Dustin Hoffman on that list. No, if you, if, if it gets down to top five, no. So it's got to be Clint Eastwood. Because yeah. he was he's been ripping big hit movies and then directing for what fifty years? Yeah, 60 maybe, years. Maybe in no particular order, but yeah, Clint 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 Jack and Tom Cruise come to mind right away. I, I mean, mean, I had I had this argument ten or fifteen years ago uh, in this uh, in Tom Cruise's career with a gentleman I'm still friends with. He made the argument Tom Hanks. He was like, "Well, Tom Hanks is," and I said, "Bro." We ain't even going to be talking about Tom Hanks in 15 years. Oh, yeah. Okay. We ain't talking about Tom Hanks anymore. I mean, he just made a very nice uh, uh, movie about Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Uh, But unfortunately, he made a couple of movies that were so terrible with Angels and Demons and The Da Vinci Code. Kind of slowed him down a lot. He wasn't able to repeat. Six. He Tom Hanks is a. By the way, I think Tom Hanks acting ability wise is right up there with Clint Eastwood and Tom Cruise. I'm not knocking his ability at all, but I don't think he has the same longevity as Tom Cruise. I think we still got another ten, fifteen years easy out of Tom Cruise movies. He still looks like he's thirty five, forty years old. Yeah, that's it's unbelievable. He's. I mean. He, I mean, you can tell he's getting a little bit older, but the guy's not aging anywhere near as fast as us. I mean, he's proof that vampires do exist, you know, and he's just I mean, his next two movies are guaranteed huge box office bonanzas, right? Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 are going to make insane amounts of money. I, I Top Gun Top Gun Maverick. That is going to be scary how much money that movie makes. Yeah, and I'm gonna, and it, most of it's gonna be me because I'm gonna go see it like six times. So, unless it stinks, then we'll all let you know because we're not gonna lie to our audience. Oh, but, that would be. Oh, don't even put that that possibility in my mind. That would no, be but it's, it's hey man, down. I know, but there's a lot of hype, dude. Sometimes when there's a lot of hype, but you know, he's flying his own jets in the movie. Like he learned how to fly a jet to make this movie. Like he's sick. Like. Nobody puts in the effort that Tom Cruise does to do what he does to make a movie for you. It's 34 years in the making. They cannot miss on this. This movie, I think there is I think there is a better chance that Tom Brady ends up on the Jets next year than Top Gun uh Maverick being bad. Yeah. It's crazy. Um and then Mission Impossible 7 
if it's anywhere near as good as Mission Impossible Rogue Nation or Mission Impossible Fallout or Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, it's guaranteed huge, huge. Listen, take it to the bank right now. The James Bond franchise is on its way down. Okay? Has been, in my opinion. It's Yeah, but I'm telling you right now, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible is the American version of James Bond, right? Is that fair? That's fair. Okay, it's not as, you know, suave. Is that even a real word? <laughs> suave. Suave, yeah. I swear suave is a, is like a 99-cent gallon shampoo, but it's it's not as suave as James Bond, and I enjoy the James Bond movies. I mean, I, I was actually a James Bond nut for a long time. Not anymore, but this is the new James Bond Ethan, eventually Tom Cruise is going to hand this off. I thought he was going to hand it off to Jeremy Renner, which I don't want to talk too much about until uh, Moldog catches up on the 13 movies I gave him to watch this weekend. But Mission Impossible, guaranteed hit. Top Gun, guaranteed hit. I mean, I don't I don't see his career slowing down. I, I mean, maybe he'll have another few bad movies here and there, but... He can always go back. And like I said, he's making a sequel to Edge of Tomorrow. Now, you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow yet, but that is a that is one that can be a franchise for him as well. The first movie is fantastic. They're making a sequel to that, too. So there's another, you know, there's another uh, big piece of his pie right in the tank. So he could just he could just turn out like, Top Gun, Mission Impossible, Edge of Tomorrow. Top Gun, Mission Impossible. Everybody would be happy at this point. He could he could ride into the $3 billion sunset on this. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. We love you guys. Make sure you leave that awesome, awesome uh, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. You can also leave us a review. We would love it. It really helps out the show. Follow us on Facebook, Ply and the Muldog. Find us on Twitter, Ply and Muldog. Find us on Instagram, Ply Rock Gamer. Come hang out in the live video game show on Facebook most nights every week. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. When I get back, Moldog, I will give you a full recap of PAX East in Boston, by the way. So everybody has that to look forward to. All right, guys, have a great one. We're out. Peace.